What's up, everyone? We're back with another episode of What They Don't Tell You About Surviving Medical School. Um, Again, this is a podcast that we started to kind of unearth some of the taboo subjects within medicine that can kind of leave people feeling ostracized. And we're going to be branching out a little bit this episode. We're excited to have a near and dear friend on who is a pharmacist, so still within the realm of medicine, um, but uh, not necessarily medical school per se. And just uh, to remind you of who your wonderful hosts are, I am Brian. I am a uh, second-year, soon-to-be-third-year student at the Medical College of Wisconsin. I'm Sam. I'm a third-year, soon-to-be-fourth-year at the University of Minnesota. And I'm Joe. I'm a first-year resident at St. John's Hospital through the University of Minnesota. And I'm Leif. I'm the special guest for the day, and I'm a first-year pharmacist. I graduated last May, so in the first 12 years of my actual career. Working nice. Man. I think no, you went to med school, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam kind of messed your uh, intro up last week, so. <laughs> Brian and I were just looking at each other like. <laughs> I was like, no. are we talking about the same Leif? Like. <laughs> Like, where'd you go to pharmacy school? I went down to uh, Creighton, which is down in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. And so, for those who aren't familiar, pharmacy school, tell us a little bit about just briefly, like, the process of getting in, applying, and then how many years you spend down there. Yeah, so it's it's a doctorate, so technically I'm a doctor, I'm just a PharmD, not an MD. It's a four-year program. First three years are in the classroom. Last one is full rotations. Um, applying, you take a PCAT, very similar to the MCAT. You know, entry interviews, pretty similar, just kind of a little bit different test. And then we don't have to do a residency. It's only optional. So uh, that's about the major difference. Okay. What percentage of folks do end up doing a residency, roughly? I would, I would say it's probably 40 to 50%. Okay. A lot of the, you know, big, you know, Creighton and all, University of Minnesota has a lot of residency programs. So when you're in the, when you're in the academic field they push you towards doing doing a residency and it's becoming more and more common and that a lot of more jobs are looking to have a residency on their resume compared to not sure but, yeah gotcha and what's uh what's life like now now that you're uh, you got a career i'm, I'm yeah. like uh, yeah. us. <laughs> you know it's it's not too bad get paid well i uh work at a local hospital in saint peter it's river's edge hospital we specialize in orthopedic surgery so 95% of the patients I see are just 80-year-olds who are having their hips and knees replaced. We, <laughs> we only have 17 beds right now, and most, most of those go to surgeries because we have three to five surgeries each day of the week, and typical length of stays, a day for shoulder, two days for hip, three days for knees, so get them cycling in and out. And I don't work weekends, which is awesome. Oh, I, I cannot nice. complain about that. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's 9 to 5.30, and then... Wow. The pharmacy up here in Fridley actually covers like the overnight and the weekends for us. Oh, wow. Since nice. our, our demand during those times are so low, yeah. you know, they maybe verify, you know, 30 orders in the right. 12 hours we're not there. So so, so it's all inpatient pharmacy stuff, yeah. am I hearing right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I bet you got those morphine equivalents down pat for those <laughs> old orthopedic <laughs> folks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And did you already mention where you're living right now? Oh, I live I live in Albert Lee, Minnesota. My wife is a high school teacher there, so I commute. It's about an hour, but you know I'm willing to do it. What do you do yeah. in the car? Podcast? What? What do you listen to in the car? Yeah, yeah, I listen to podcasts actually. 
what what brought you down to St. Peter for a job? You know, I was looking around. The, there was not much available around Albert Lee. I just expanded to, you know, potentially Northfield, Faribault, or Tana area, and then kind of moving that circle around, and that encompassed, encompassed St. Peter. And my manager is actually a Creighton grad. So oh, nice. Yeah. So kind of got gotten in there, and then it's just her and me in terms of pharmacists. So she mostly does the managing part, so ordering you know, going to the meetings, doing all that stuff. And then I'm just purely the clinical pharmacist. So I'm down on the floor the whole time. I'm, I'm in the hospital working with the nurses and the docs and hospitalists. So nice. Yeah. I I really like it. It's, it's a good, it's a good fit. And it's a, it allows me to use my expertise because the hospitalists really rely on me for a lot. Like you said, the morphine, morphine really quit once and, <laughs> you know, anytime, you know, patient starts getting confused and we're looking like, oh man, Percocet's not working. All right. What, what can we do? Yeah. You know, they always look to me and come up with, with options. So, yeah. And we'll probably get into this a little bit more too, but I like the, the number of times the pharmacist has like a saved my ass and B just like come up with absolutely flawless treatment plans for a patient I, I can't even count the number of times especially in the ICU so um, I'm, I'm definitely glad that Leif's willing to be here and chat with us today so uh, without further ado should we get into some picks of the week guys yeah yes throw yeah. it over to Bri uh, what do you got Bri pick of the week I guess I'm gonna follow suit and Sam's been hitting the Netflix hard so Ooh. I guess I'll do my first Netflix recommendation I watched, started to watch Highwaymen last night. Um, oh yeah, with uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, who's the other guy? It's a uh, older actor, Costner. Kevin Kevin Costner I think or so. Kirshner. Yeah, or might be like butchering that. that, but it's it's good. I mean, we only got halfway through it. Nora fell asleep since she had just been up like twenty hours or something like that. Yeah, so. give me the a plot. Give the me a plot one. looks really it's, good. It's yeah, uh, it, it's it. so you got. Bonnie and Clyde, who are kind of romanticized by the population. It's, I don't know to the extent to which this is true, but like all the women would dress up like Bonnie. Um, mm. They were kind of a champion of the poor people since they wouldn't rob poor people. They'd rob banks and institutions. So the poor people would kind yeah, of yeah. cover for them when they would be hiding in like migrant camps between towns. Um, so mm. they're just the villains of the people and loved by the people. But then they sick these texas rangers on them and that's that's where i'm at they're trying oh, to cool. hunt them down so i don't know that's what happens yeah, the, like the plot show. looks really good i'm just not a huge woody harrelson fan really? i think he's i think he's a, a rapist i'm pretty sure i have no idea what he's done off camera so yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay all right all right Sam, pick of the week. um my my pick of the week, uh, the unsung here, un, unsung, unsung heroes, uh, moms. Nice. Oh, that is yeah. I'm I'm on OB right now, and let me tell you what a bloodbath it is in there. <laughs> and uh, I just have to applaud all the moms out there, the courageous moms. That's, uh, that's yeah working a labor and delivery floor for like a day to a week really makes you realize how amazing that it's like uh, that experience the pain that not yeah. you know, 
nine to ten months of pain, and then that's not even the delivery. Right. Portion. You're actually giving birth, which is just, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially no epidural is just beyond me. I can, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you're not any any uh, lesser of a mom if you get an epidural, but those that do it without is just incredible. Right. Right. Solid pick. Hard to follow that one, Joe. <laughs> Joe, what do you got? I'm going to do newborn babies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, my pick of the week is Twitter, just in general. Wow. It is more than just a place where people go to just talk crap to other people. Um, I think, especially in the medical sphere, there are a lot of great um, like medicine folks, pharmacists. I've seen psychologists, you name it, um, on Twitter sharing information. It's a great place to stay up to date on just random things. Um, I love it. Some of my favorite podcasts and medicine are on there too. And then, you know, I, I use it a little bit for politics and then, um, I follow all my NHL stuff there. So, um, you can really, I mean, it can be annoying if you have them, if you're following a million different things, but if you follow the right things and you engage in the right community, it's really a great place to be. One stop shop. Looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And life. Pick of the week. I watched Our Planet on Netflix. I've watched the first couple of episodes, and it's it's really good. It's very similar to Planet Earth and any of the other nature shows, but it really focusing on what humans have done and how it's been impacting like the North and South Pole and um, Does it you know, highlight all like the global and, warming kind of stuff? yeah yeah about mm-hmm. global warming and it's it's incredible there there were scenes on there that. You know, I've watched all Planet Earth and Blue Planet and all that stuff, and there were still scenes there that I had I had never seen before. So it was yeah. pretty incredible. It but looks like sad. animated at times. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, very sad and depressing at points, though. Right. Yeah. So, but we we needed that. We needed no, someone yes. to use their uh, their big stage to call out climate change even yes. more. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Well, uh, good picks of the week. We're going to head into the bulk of the episode. Leif is going to tell us about his story um, throughout his career with mental health. Yeah, thanks. Um, Well, for me, anxiety has been a struggle pretty much my my whole life that I can remember. Um, Particularly, it started probably early high school. I think 10th grade is probably when I came to realize how anxious um, I really got and, you know, the classic sweating, rapid heart rate, you know, shallow breathing, all the classic signs of of anxiety and panic attacks. And um, it's been, it's been a struggle through, throughout life. And, you know, even right now, I'm still, you know, I'm having some of the, some of the symptoms right now as we talk about it, but it's, it's something that I've dealt with for, for so long. And, um, I know Joe last week was talking about how he was potentially tried abuse bar and um, now he's on Lexapro. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, for me, I have not sought treatment quite yet. I'm taking 5-HTP right now, which is um, a natural supplement. And, you know, having the um, databases to look at it, I'm not a huge proponent of, of herbs and um, 
herbal medicine all the time, but I think it has its place. So I, I just look it up to make sure it's not, you know, gonna gonna kill you, give you liver toxicity, you know, cause CKD or something like that. That's that's my main concern. Is as long as we're not gonna do harm to our patients or not do harm to yourself, I think it's worth a try. Mm-hmm. Um, but long story short, and like we talked about last time, you know, SSRIs, SNRIs are very um, good with treating anxiety. And so I tried it. I think this is about my fourth or fifth week that I'm on it right now. So generally four to six weeks is when you start seeing the full, full effects and day to day right now. I think it's, I think it's been working. I'm having a lot less anxiety than, than I have in the past. So I think it's, it's worked in that point, but you know, right now there's still symptoms that I'm experiencing that it's, you know, not, not quite handling, but, um, but going back to when I started in high school with anxiety, the biggest thing for me that I started to realize it was sleeping in different places. That was always a huge, huge thing for me. Mm. Transitions were, were, were really hard. Um, so I actually, my parents actually put me into therapy when I was in 10th grade and it, I think it helped me. I was a little resistant at first, you know, cause as, as a high schooler who wants to be the one kid who goes to therapy, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't, you know, nobody knew about it. It was just, it was just me and my parents who were actually ended up knowing about it. So, and it was very good, you know, it's always very good and therapeutic and Joe talked about it last week too. It's talking it out is in behavioral um, therapy is, I think, one of the most important treatments that we have out there. Medications mm-hmm. can only do so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just had a quick question. Uh, what you know? What do you think that your parents were seeing at the time, or did did you talk to them about specific things, or you know, were there things that they had noticed that they were saying, you know, like Leif, are you, you know, is this? Did they recognize anxiety? Did they recognize something else? What what were they seeing? Yeah, I think I think they recognize the anxiety, particularly when it came to sleeping in different places, and then also new situations. Whenever mm-hmm. I meet new people, I get really shy, and it's and it's it's mostly my social phobia and anxiety kind of kind of coming out. It's not that I'm, I mean, you guys all know. Once I get to know people, I'm I'm pretty open. I'm not, you know, I'm not shy. I joke around. I'm I'm outgoing and everything. It's just I need to feel comfortable with people first, mm-hmm. and then need to get past that social phobia kind of barrier at first. Uh, and so I, they really noticed that when, when I was thrown into new situations, I would get very short with them and I still do. Um, my lovely wife deals with it every day when, when I have my anxiety and I just get, you know, I get very, yeah, very short and angry, um, very quickly. And so I think they noticed that and they my mom's a nurse. Um, so she could notice those signs and kind of put two, two and two together and said, Leif, yeah, I think you're having anxiety and we want this to not be a problem when you get to college. You know, we don't want you mm-hmm. not going to college because you're too anxious or having having troubles in college because you have anxiety. And um, so then I went into therapy, and it was not for not very long. It was only for a couple of months, I think, just for the spring. And it seemed to really help. And they just gave me the classic techniques of helping slow your breathing. You know, just talking it out and say, if you ever need something, you know, you can always go to your parents or come back here to talk, talk things through. Um, so I thought, thought it was very beneficial. I haven't gone back for, for any therapy since, um, at least in Northfield, but, um, 
one. So I was talking about how transitions have been have been pretty hard for me. The transition to Gustavus, I think that first year, the freshman year for everybody, you know, it's it's different. You're not we've never been to college before. You don't really know what to expect. I'm the oldest in my family, so I really did not know know, know what to expect. I didn't have a brother who had gone to college and had kind of shown me the ropes or anything like like Sam, you have Joe, but mm-hmm. um so so that first year was 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 pretty hard and what I found my anxiety coming out as was I just wanted to stay in my room and not talk with anybody. And so it really, it's, it's funny looking back on it now, but, um, it could have been, could have been quite bad. I, uh, at Casavis, I worked down at the third floor, which is an after school program for third through third through sixth graders at North elementary ended up being the best job I've ever had. Cause I literally got paid to go down and play dodgeball for two hours, <laughs> you know, five, five times a week. I just go down and, um, did you take it easy on them? Or did you just... I, I, I will be honest. I, I did not let up on those kids. I was, <laughs> I was doing the sweatband, hucking, just hucking the dodgeball as hard as I could about a third grader. But, so they, that probably helped. That was probably very therapeutic. <laughs> but to, to, to get that job, I, I had gotten that the spring of my freshman year. You had to try and, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I weightlifted for so long to get that dodgeball, man. He's finally throwing 90. We'll accept. <laughs> um, but so, so, so the spring, I, I hadn't had a job in the fall. Um, actually, I did. I had it. I was doing intramurals, but I, I was playing football at that point. So I was, I was very busy and didn't really have, because during intramurals, we either have practice or we'd have to be doing something else. So I didn't actually work all that much. Um, and so then I decided just to switch out of that. And this wasn't. A job opening so I went for it and the first couple of times so it was at North Elementary I didn't have a car so I had to get you know, either walk there or get a ride and so that caused me anxiety because you know I had to a go to a new new workplace and then b get a ride with some random person that I had no idea who it even was mm-hmm. um, and so for the first like week that I had that that job I kept saying I had something going on you know, I made up an excuse. Oh, oh, I have chemistry lab or oh, I have biology lab. And then it got so bad that one day he said, all right, I'll pick you up at three flags, um, which is a Gustavus term for everybody who didn't go to Gustavus. But um, and he said, I'll be there at like three or, or something like that. And again, I had this this panic attack and I just couldn't bring myself to even meet him at three flags. And then when he talked to me about it the next day, or he emailed me, I think uh, later that night or the next morning, and I'm like, "Oh no, I was there. I was the kid sitting like on the on the park bench or something." He's like, "Yeah, there is nobody there." Mm. And you know, so like I'm digging myself in this hole, and it's it's just pure anxiety that's that's driving it. Because right now, like that makes no sense. That's completely irrational. And I'm like, "Why? Why would you even do that?" But when you're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And Joe, I don't know if you've experienced this, but it's just like your brain goes to this place where yep. it's somehow rationalized in your brain and you're like, yep, this makes sense. So this is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and eventually, and it all worked out. Eventually, I just I just called him and I say, yep, sorry for the um, mix up. I'll, I'll be there tomorrow. And then I just bit the bullet and, and did it because I finally realized I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be able to have this job if I don't, if I don't, uh, you know, go through with this. But mm-hmm. so... You know, that's a major, major point when you you start realizing you're like, yep, this this is definitely a problem. And that was 
that was, I think, one of the one of the first points outside of my parents kind of telling me that I realized that it was controlling more than what I thought it was. I knew I, you know, didn't like to go out. I was more of a homebody. You know, why go out when I can watch Netflix on on my Xbox and all this other stuff? But that that's when it really hit me. And then sophomore year, um, more transitions were were happening. My dad was um, diagnosed with a, a brain tumor that that year he had already beaten colorectal cancer I believe it was stage three because he had to have chemo and surgery mm. which is I've never quite asked him but the most recent guidelines do say that it's only stage three that you're gonna do both chemo mm. and and surgery the rest of it's just surgery so I think it must have been at least stage three and he had recovered from that and then you know that's a trauma and that was during high school and mm-hmm. that was big weighing on my mom and then all of a sudden brain brain tumor and I'm like oh man this you know, what if this ends up being even worse? And um, he's just taken some oral chemotherapy and had some some radiation, and it's back in remission now. So he's, he's all good. But, um, you know, that was another rough time, and I, I dealt with my anxiety by, by drinking, which is very common in anxiety, PTSD, depression. They, they go hand-in-hand hand with substance abuse disorder, whether that's heroin, you know, methamphetamines, mm-hmm. alcohol, marijuana, any, mm-hmm. any and all drugs. Um, and then I ended up having some counseling at Gustavus at that point too. And that was, um, that was good. And again, it was more just talking it through and saying, you know, you can handle this there. You have people to support you here, you know, whether that's your friends or the, um, the psychologists and, mm-hmm. And did you did you guys address like substance use at the time at all, or was it kind of like did you talk more about your symptoms of anxiety? I think it was a combination. They we kind of talked about about the substance abuse, but it was more that you know the anxiety is the reason and the mm-hmm. cause behind the behind it. It's not so much that um, you know you're a bad person for for doing it or something. Right. So we're, we're trying to get to the root of the problem. So mm-hmm. it was mostly focusing on anxiety, gotcha, um, treatments and symptoms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so my anxiety is like I've been talking about more in social situations, and I know Joe was talking about that last last podcast as well. And for me, actually, it's a funny story. I'm going to go skip ahead to just a couple of weeks ago before I heard heard the first podcast and. My wife and I were sitting in sitting in bed watching Netflix, and we were talking. And Janessa was like, "You know, your anxiety's been pretty bad lately. I think you need to try something." Mm. And, and this is when we, I started to try to look up 5-HTP. And, um, my parents have been on it for a while. Uh, mm. They both have somewhat anxiety. I don't think it's quite nearly as bad as mine, but um, and they've had good success with it. So we were talking in the exact conversation that Joe was saying about you're afraid of what you're going to turn into when you, when you start taking the medication. Like, will I be the same Joe? Will I be the same way yeah. after taking I literally said that. I'm like, I feel like my anxiety is what drives me. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm so anxious all the time. I'm so anxious that I'm not going to get this project done or so anxious that I'm going to get fired from my job if I don't do this, even though it's irrational. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, so then what if I just end up becoming this bum who can't, can't do anything because he's so chill all the time? 
be this de- deadbeat dad who's sitting at home with some farm D and he's not doing anything. <laughs> and again, it's it's the classic where it's just like that's where your brain goes, and that's that's not rational at all, you know. And it's funny because psychiatric pharmacy is one of my passions. I worked at a I did a rotation at an inpatient psych hospital. Um, yeah, so it'd been two years ago, and I was working with a psychiatrist. And it was the best rotation I've ever had and super fascinating. And I like it because it's a lot more of a puzzle. You kind of got to figure it out. A lot of medicine nowadays is just follow the guidelines, mm-hmm. you know, diabetes. All right. We start with metformin, you know, and then, then we go on from there and it's more of a, more of an algorithm rather than a, all right, Zoloft didn't right. work for him. All right. What, what can we try next? This didn't work. This combination didn't work. So mm-hmm. that's, that's what it's found to be, um, very fascinating for me um but completely lost my train of thought (laughs) what um so back to the your sophomore year um seeing the counselor what initially drove you in was it sort of trying to deal with um your dad's new diagnosis or had you sort of realized that you had uh, an issue or had, had someone else told you that you seemed anxious or something or like what was the initial driver and piggy, kind of piggybacking a, off sam um, too sorry is because no, like when i i know when i because i ultimately sought the same services and i was just like super i had a hard time swallowing my pride so like what got you over mm-hmm. that hump to be like okay like let's talk <laughs> yeah. about this yeah yeah no um so what actually happened is I was um, seeing this girl kind of on and off. Um, wasn't really very serious, but um, we Hopefully were kind of thinking it was gonna it was gonna go <laughs> go places, you know. And then, um, then all of a sudden, like it just kind of fell off, you know. She, not not necessarily she didn't ghost me or anything, but you know, it's was, it was kind of like transitioning towards that, where it's like, all right, something's happening here. Um, and I think that was just the breaking point. And then that night, I just, I, I drank too much, and I was texting her not not good things, and, and then she called the, the actual security. So it was oh, more wow. of a, yeah, so it was more of a, a mental kind of breakdown. And, you know, thank God other people were, were looking after me. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't think anything would have happened that, that night anyway. But it was just one of those things that's like, you're thankful that that somebody else is at least going to be looking after you. So that, that's what happened that time. And then it was just kind of there. It's just an easy transition into, yeah, I, that, that was a problem. And like, I need to need yeah. to do something. Like your foot was kind of in the door already. Yeah. So you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So then I think we're at the point, uh, you know, so then talk us through kind of like the remainder of college for you then, if that's part of your story or yeah. if you wanted to transition. Into no, no. Else. Yeah. I, I think after that, things had gotten better, you know, sophomore year, you start feeling like you're um, a little more comfortable. You know, I got, got to know Joe and, and Miles and um, good core group of friends and felt like I could, I could talk with them about anything. And it was, um, pretty easy after that just the basic anxiety of you know the classic school anxiety and all and all that stuff but um after that the the more major breakdowns i think were were very limited and i don't i don't remember having really another one um 
at Actus Davis. Mm -hmm. So, and then for me, I know that Joe was talking about last time, that anxiety. Sometimes it can hinder, you know, you just don't really want to do anything in terms of, oh man, I got a test tomorrow. I got to study, but you're, you're just so anxious about something you can't really focus on it. Um, for me, my anxiety actually kind of did the opposite. For me, studying for school, particularly in pharmacy school. So after graduating from Gustavus was one thing that I could control. And so it was, it was something that I kind of got, it was very therapeutic for me in terms of if I, I could get lost in it and, and kind of take my mind off the, all the anxiety, because that was something that I could control. If I knew that I could, you know, ace the next test, that's, that's the one thing I know that I can, I can control the rest can, can be kind of what, kind of what it is. <laughs> so, um, and then other for major breakdowns, I have not really had any since, since that, that point Actus Davis, I don't think there's been just more of the, the day to day battles. <laughs> um, Dude, one story that, that oh, sorry. I wanted to tell was just a month or two ago, we were back up here in the, in the twin cities and we were going to go to, it was my wife's birthday weekend and we were celebrating up here and we stayed at a hotel and then we were going to go the next day. We were going to go to my cousin's um, third child's baptism. So, and I thought that all my family was going to be there. Um, most of my family lives either in, in the cities or up in Brainerd. So just two hours away. And I, I put on my pants and I realized, man, these pants I got like when I was a sophomore in Gustavus and I was not fitting into them anymore. I, you know, I, not that I was like getting too fat for them or anything, but like I think I had grown like an inch or two since then. So they were like super short. <laughs> They just did not look good. And Janessa's like, yeah, you, you can't wear those. So then I was freaking out at Harry. I'm like, well, I don't have anything else to wear. And I was, then I, the, the anxiety said, I'm like, oh my God, now everybody's going to notice that I have, <laughs> have these pants that look like four inches too short. And they're like Mr. Bean or something. Like, <laughs> there was flooding at that time. You were just preparing. Yeah, they were just, yeah, they were just flood pants. <laughs> but, and so then, so then I'm having this, and then I realize, all right, now I don't even have a belt for this, and I'm going to wear, like, a, a shirt and tie, and I'm like, oh, my, so my pants are too short. Now I don't even have a belt. I think the only belt I had was black, and it was, like, a blue, so I had I had to wear brown. I had brown shoes, and I'm like, <laughs> all right, so I'm freaking out now that, um, you know, my, my pants don't fit, my belt don't doesn't match my shoes, and... Um, I'm sure Janessa could explain this story much better from her perspective, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, we are just getting in an argument about, about the fact that my pants don't fit and there's nothing really to argue about, but yet I'm screaming, I'm screaming at her and she's like, okay, there's a target right down the road. We can go there, um, and get you some, a quick, like new pair of pants and, and a belt and, and you'll be fine. I'm like, okay, fine. And we're still arguing. And then it starts getting later and later and there's about 15 minutes before the service starts and I'm freaking out because I thought everybody was going to be there early and you know to like sit down and talk before before the actual service and so then I'm freaking out like oh my gosh we're going to miss out on this on this family event and 
And then, um, so we're, we're on our way to Target, and I get angry at Janessa that the fact that we're going to Target, even though it was my idea to go to Target <laughs> in the first place. Um, and so, it, and events like this happen more often uh, th- than you would think, and it's just, I, like I've been saying the whole time, it's the anxiety warps the way you view the world, and It's just, it ends up turning it around and you just, I get, just end up getting frustrated mm-hmm. and, and, and lashing out at other people when it's the basis that I just, my anxiety is controlling every aspect mm-hmm. uh, of my life. And in that moment, you know, the rest of the time, like I said, has been, it's been okay and I can deal with it. And I've learned how to learn strategies of, of deep breathing and, and relaxing and trying to do things that reduce my anxiety but in those moments it's very apparent that anxiety has been a huge struggle and will continue to be a struggle um and you know if this 5-HTP does not work I I do think I'm going to try an SSRI um but working in that in that inpatient psych hospital I know that sometimes a 20% reduction in in symptoms is is all that we can get sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not a 100% anxiety-free um, life you, you end up living. It's just, can we take the edge off? And then can we also knock down those number of events that occur so mm-hmm. that, you know, you're not freaking out every single week and maybe you only have an attack every every month or for sure once every three months. Yeah, so. I think that's something that I definitely will counsel people on too is, you know, anytime you're starting a medication like that and I, I got to be honest, 5-HTP is a totally new thing for me, but anytime I'm starting like an SSRI or an SNRI, I think being very transparent about it, the goal is not to get you to, it's, it's not to do a complete 180 here. It's mm-hmm. to, if yeah, like Leif said, if you're getting 20%, that's awesome. You know, the goal would be, you know, 50% or something like that. But um, having that awareness before you start in on something like that, I think is really key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just, I think. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Lee. Okay, I was just I was gonna go off of counseling patients because I um I go in and see all all the patients who who come into the hospital and talk to them about their their pain meds and stuff. And for people who I see are on um, antidepressants and you know have a diagnosis of anxiety or um, depression or schizoaffective disorder or, or something, you know, mm-hmm. I always go and talk to them and I say. The most important thing is for you to be 100% honest with us. We're only here to help, but we cannot, we're not there with you each and every day. And we can't observe if you're having panic attacks, if you're for depression, you're like, if you're eating more or eating less, sleeping more, sleeping less, Mm -hmm. you know, all that, all those signs and symptoms that I just counsel them. And I say, you need to be 100% apparent with us because we're only here to help. And we want, we want to help you. And the only way we can do that is if you be completely honest with us and tell us how you're feeling mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that my anxiety against I, I, I don't even do that but I, I tell my patients too so it's like, <laughs> you know it's one of those you know, doctors and nurses are sometimes the worst yeah. patients because because we think we know everything but mm-hmm. for sure <laughs> I have, yeah. a, I have a question kind of along those lines just like maybe kind of it yeah just highlights like the irrationality of it like I know Joe mentioned that he 
was hesitant to start something, you have some hesitancy with maybe jumping up to an SSRI, which just, I mean, I'm sure you've seen and treated and cared for tons of patients and seen the benefit and that they don't change and become a bum, like you put it, but yeah, it's right. just like you are, a, you have a doctorate in this, like this is your field and it's still, your mind can still kind of warp it. Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think too, like it, like you said, Joe, I mean, people start it and they think that the goal is to be completely anxiety free. And unfortunately, that's just not realistic. I think oftentimes folks with anxiety don't realize a major driver of their anxiety is that they feel like they're alone and they feel like I'm the only one that's experiencing this day in and day out. Um, and what they don't realize is that, you know, as we're kind of demonstrating here with all four of us, everyone is walking around with some level of anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and to, you know, if an SSRI, like you said, decreases it, decreases your anxiety 20%, maybe that's the same as everyone else is walking around with, you know, right, yeah. you don't realize that like everyone is dealing with something. I mean, it, it might not be anxiety, but um, I think so often that, you know, folks with some sort of psychiatric disorder, um, think that they are the only ones walking around with it. And that's very, very isolating um, and just kind of perpetuates the cycle of, mm -hmm. of mental health issues. Right. I, to I totally agree. And like, I think that um, I, just listening to Leif tell his story makes me, it brings about those same, same feelings, like feeling, you know, you get that kind of that sweaty feeling of, mm -hmm you're almost experiencing the same anxiety that Leif talks about. So I know, I, I guess Leif's story just really resonates with a lot of the stuff that I went through too. Um, so I mean, it, it's, 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 uh, you know, tough to tell the story, but really fun to hear it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's why I think what you guys are doing is, is great. The second I heard this podcast, I literally text Joe and I said, you know, I, I've been struggling with this for, you know, as long as I can remember, you know, can we just talk about it? And then, he offered me this opportunity to come in and talk about it here. And even though it's causing me anxiety to talk about it, it's, I think it's very important because, um, at work, I, I have this coworker who she, ha she struggles with anxiety too. And she's had mm -hmm. um, panic attacks and we're very open. And, you know, anytime I, I'm feeling anxious, I can literally just go talk to her and we're both around the same age. So it's, it's perfect. Like we can, we, you know, we're each other's confidant and, and it's, it, it's a place that, you know, somebody at work where, Usually you're going to be the most stressed and the most anxious, but it's, it's a place where I can feel that if, if something like that were to happen, I, I have somebody where I can talk to and, you know, just vent and then, you know, we can share the stories and, and be like, okay, yeah, I was being irrational there. That, that was a little ridiculous, mm -hmm. you know, take a step back. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, what was your transition like, you know, post, uh, post pharmacy school moving into a new job with, with transitions being tough for you, like you've stated, did it take you a little while to get comfortable at your new job? Yeah. So I, I talked about before that, you know, I'm very shy at first and, and it's social phobia driven. And that's just how I was. I just, I was the pharmacy at, at our hospital is literally the size of about an office because we're not that big. All we need is, you know, pain meds and your basic, whatever anybody else comes in on, but we don't, we don't, you know, we don't have an ICU, so we don't need a huge inventory of, 
of like dantrolene or some of the, you know, more extreme drugs or anything like that. We just need kind of the basics. Um, and so I'm down on the, the med surge unit and that's literally, so I, I can come in each day, I grab my, my little binder and then I go back down and I literally sit there till, till the end of my shift and then, and then I go home. Um, so for that first, yeah, first couple of probably months, I just kind of sat there and didn't really talk to anybody. And if anybody, you know, talked to me, I'd answer their questions, but I did not go out of my way to, to make any friendships or anything. And, um, that's typically what I do. And it comes off as very, I feel like I come off very arrogant and, uh, um, for lack of a better word, a D bag. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife, the first time she actually met me, thought me, thought I was a complete, <laughs> just tool. <laughs> thank, thank God she gave me a second chance. <laughs> but it was because of that. It was because I was, you know, so anxious that I just, my, my responses are very short and then I feel like I have to prove myself when I do, when I do mm. speak, particularly in new situations. Um, so luckily I didn't, didn't, I didn't burn any bridges at, no. at work and, uh, all the nurses are super nice and, and they love having me there and I, and I love, you know, having them come talk to me and, um, and everything. But, and then it's, it's just more the home life that I think was affected during those, during those transition months, you know, again, more fights, you know, just more anxiety, um, going home and having a beer more often than, than not, you know, it's just, just things like that, where it's just like you, you fall into those, those unwanted habits that, that, that occur when, when you have these anxiety and transitions. And, um, but now I think we're, I'm at, I'm at a good place. I've been there for, I've been there since June. So, but coming up on, on a year almost in a couple of months here. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Did you like, did you, um, ever, see a counselor during pharmacy school or how was your anxiety during pharmacy school? I did not see a counselor during pharmacy school. Um, my anxiety was, was pretty good. And and I'll tell, and I'll tell you why, uh, very similar to Joe. I went to pharmacy school that first year. My wife, Janessa was, um, going to be a senior at Casavis and she went off to India and did the India trip. Mm -hmm. Um, so for the first yeah, what, four, four or five months that I was down in Omaha by myself, um, my wife was halfway around the world and, mm-hmm. you know, could get a Skype signal every now and again, but it wasn't, wasn't that bad. Um, and at that point I kind of dove into what Joe was talking about where he ran a lot. I found a bunch of guys who played basketball and literally Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I think I'd play a total of four hours of basketball each day, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other days I would literally, work out like crazy, um, you know, go lift weights, um, go running, do whatever I could and then just study. And I literally went to, went to class and went home. I did not go out. I did not do anything that whole first year. And I hated Omaha because, <laughs> I, because of that, because of, this, this town sucks. <laughs> but it, but the, and then my wife came down and ended up loving Omaha and I miss Omaha. It's, it's a great, great city. But, um, but then what, once my wife did actually, moved down with me down in Omaha starting my second year, it was still more of the same. I would go to class and I'd come straight home. There was, there was no social interactions or going out and sticking around after class or anything. So, um, the anxiety I think was, was still there, but I mean, it was obviously still there because that would have driven me to, um, 
you know, go home and not, not talk to anybody. But the, the major breakdowns and that I've experienced with other transitions were, were not there. And I think it was just because I had experienced a few more of those breakdowns and transitions. And it was, um, one of those things I just, I dealt with this transition in, in a different way. And that was just being a bookworm rather than, sure. um, you know, doing, doing other stuff or, you know, drinking and, and other things like that. Right. So, well, and maybe too, cause you're like expected to just study mm-hmm. and maybe that made it a little, I don't, I don't want to put words yeah, in no, your mouth, no, but like, I agree. I agree. I could see how you're just like, Oh, I got to study. Like yeah. that's, yeah. that's it. You know, I don't have time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And then at that point, yeah, studying was a big thing. Cause I, you know, it's, this, this is our career now. We're not just, not just majoring in chemistry at Gustavus or, or something, you know, you don't, not just passing it to pass the philosophy test so you can graduate. You're like, I'm going to be working with this each and every right. day. So I really did. I, I, I did do that. I was like, well, I'm, I'm expected to study. I need to study. So it was, it was an easy cop out for, for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you, uh, do you have, this is kind of putting you on the spot, but Leif, do you have like a, a sort of overarching take-home message for for folks listening on your story? Yeah, I think the overarching message is just, you know, if, if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, any, and it's a whole spectrum, and like, like we were talking about, it's, um, is that don't, don't feel bad about going and talking to somebody about it and seeking out the help, like, like Joe was talking about, and Medication might not always be the only option. Um, mm-hmm. Behavioral, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is, I think, the, the starting point, and you can go from there. And if you feel like you need some um, some extra help, medications can be great. But I think I think the most important thing you take from this is if you're experiencing anything like we've experienced, go and talk to somebody about it, and don't feel guilty about it because it's it's something we need to talk about it's only going to get better if you talk about it. if you let it sit and stew inside you're just going to break like i have multiple times and um so yeah 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 i think i think when i finally started and i'll talk about it more when i tell my story but it was like you know i i've been in this cycle of anxiety for the last however many years and nothing's changing like you know it, it takes takes you years to realize that. Um, and when finally, like, you're like, well, mm, nothing is different. Um, and I'm still always anxious. And everyone's telling me to see, see, see someone like, what's the harm? Um, and then eventually, you know, when you finally do, of course, a whole new world is opened up. Right. Um, and I feel like that's a very consistent story for folks that that have uh, mental health issues is, you know, all, all of them say how reluctant they were initially. And then consistently they all talk about how happy they were that they finally ended up going. So yeah, I totally agree. Life. Yeah, one I of the, couldn't have said it better myself, Sam. That was very well put. One of the things like I really resonate with from Life story is like the, one of the elements of anxiety is like you just place yourself under this microscope. Like, mm-hmm. like you're talking about not having a belt. Like, you know, <laughs> you, know, you know how many times, I not to like make light of the situation because it was obviously traumatic for you, but like you know how many times in public, like that's not a 
dresser for me personally so like a bunch of times in public like I haven't worn a belt or like whatever and like doesn't even cross my mind so like right or like like for me like when I, I was really hesitant to go talk to the counselors at Gustavus I just thought like walking the halls everyone would know it's like oh he's weak right. he's defective yep. and like I had no idea Leif talked to him until just now and Leif yeah, probably right. didn't know I talked to him until I talked about on the show like you just put yourself under this little microscope and you think right that, your mind is just open to everyone when yeah, most people sure. have no idea. Like Right, right. Which well is said. what a lot of people's initial hesitation is getting past that hurdle. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, it, it's tough. Yeah, like on a campus too. You know, like on a campus like Gustavus, okay. you're like, well, which friend is going to walk by and <laughs> yeah. see me right. going in? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so like just... Going back a little bit to it's five HTP, right? Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. So is that something that you can do? You buy it online? Do you buy it at a yeah, yeah, you, yeah? I, I buy it online, but I, I I think it's a it's a relatively common one. I don't think it's it's not at like Walgreens or anything like that, but at the St. Peter Co-op, mm-hmm. I, I I think you can find it. Um, and you know, for all the listeners out there, whether you're in med school or not, the most important thing is. Honestly, talk to your pharmacist about about your herbal supplements. Like I said, that's I we have databases that you know will tell us whether they they've been found to be safe, and that's the most important thing. Whether they're they're effective or not, if if you, if you want to try it, you know, and if it works for you, you you go ahead and you try it. As long as it's not gonna not gonna kill you or cost you cost you something in in, in some sort of way, that's the most important thing. For is sure. It, is yeah. it known how that works therapeutically at all? The yeah, it's it's converted to serotonin in the body, okay. so it's it, it work. You know, it's the idea is that it works very similar to an SSRI, mm-hmm. where it increases your serotonin levels and it does cross the blood brain barrier. So um, there's a, a few different ways that SSRIs end up working, but but one of the obviously one of the key ways is it does increase the serotonin at the um, the synapse there. So mm-hmm. that that's the idea of, of how it's supposed to work. Because because serotonin is five HT, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So just one quick conversion in the body and it's converted serotonin. Easy as that. Yeah. And now you said you've, you've been taking it for about five weeks, I believe. Five weeks? Yeah, four to five weeks. So, um, you know, transitioning forward for, for you, what sorts of things will you look at or like what sorts of things will you be filling out in your body? Do you think that, you know, they're you would ever consider doing a different medication, you know, every, I'm sure you've thought yeah, about all yeah. of this stuff. Yeah. You know, and, um, what's, what's really going to be the, the key determiner is if I have less of those events, whether it's at home or, or with, with my family or at work where I get really short with, with people and, and my anxiety starts, starts to twist my mind. Um, if, if those, events start going, you know, longer and longer and prolonging between each one of them. I, th- I think that would be more, more success. If I'm not seeing that there's any improvement there, I, I think I would try like a, like Lexapro or, or, or Zoloft or some, some SSRI. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like you said, Sam, I mean, you, you go through years and years and years and you don't start feeling, you just think it's going to go away or something. And right. you just, you just feel the same. And, um, it's been so long for me that I don't even know if I would know what it's what it's like to feel quote unquote normal at, mm-hmm. at this point. But like I said, a twenty percent reduction I think would be would do great and you know make a, a lot of my aspects uh, or a lot of aspects of my life uh, a lot better. 
um, particularly when it comes to going out and doing things with, with a lot of my social phobias. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm going to give, I think, this 5-HCP a couple more weeks, see how I feel. And if, if I don't think I've noticed a difference, and my wife is a huge sounding board for this, you know, she'll tell me because she can tell when I'm, when I'm anxious and she's um, very good at uh, helping me control it. And so if she notices that nothing has changed, she'll, sure. she'll let me know and, and I'm, would be you know, right. more than willing to go search search yeah. out and try something else. It's mm-hmm. nice to kind of have that objective measuring stick that's not, not just yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's really just not objective. It's yeah. good. It's, right. it's, it, it is good. So I got a, I got a question then. So what, what uh, kind of advice would you have for like significant others or people who are close to someone who may be struggling with uh, yeah. something like this? Yeah. Um, well, I, the first is be understanding of, of the condition in itself. Um, with depression, with anxiety, it's not just stop being anxious. Why are you so anxious? Or you know, with depression, it's like, well, don't don't be depressed. Don't don't be depressed. You you have you have a good job. You got this, that, and the other thing. But that that doesn't mean that somebody can't be clinically depressed mm-hmm. when they have all those things. So um, it's about being understanding of the condition, but then also at the same time not letting us have that be the cop out for everything because mm-hmm. because that, that's what i do i i say oh it's just my anxiety and it's like okay well if it's your anxiety then we need to seek treatment or you mm-hmm. need to go see somebody about it so that's where you need to draw that fine line and say i understand this condition and um i love you for it and it makes you who you are but at the same time if it's starting to affect you know our our relationship or your work um and your you're making an excuse so that we can't do the things that we enjoy doing. That's when you need to have the conversation about, would you be willing to seek treatment, whether that's medication, psychology, something. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic answer. Yeah. Well said. Well, um, I suppose we should wrap things up. Unless Lake, do you have anything else on your story you want to add or no, I think that's, that's about it. Thank you very much for, I definitely yeah, resonate with yes. all kinds of this. I'm sure everyone else will. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope this is kind of the, the start of having a bunch of people on to, to talk about stuff like this. I mean, this is, this is really the goal of what we're doing is to get people on telling their stories, talking about experiences and just having, you know, my goal is just to have anyone who's listening to this be like, Oh wow. Like, okay, I'm not alone. Okay. Right. I'm not alone. Right. You know, like people have been through some really tough times. Um, and you know, like I feel very lucky that I had Sam to talk to cause he was going through the same exact thing. So we could bounce medication ideas off of each other, but like some people don't necessarily have that. So I think right. this is, this is kind of a cool spot where we are able to do that. And, um, yeah, we'll have to start doing some more like question and answer stuff sometime in the near future here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we got uh, lots of ideas planned, but if anyone has anything else, reach out to us. Don't be shy. If you want to come on. Yeah. doesn't matter what you do. Leif's, Leif's uh, in medicine, but we're open to having people outside of medicine too. So. Well, yeah, yeah. he's a medical student. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for RMD and going for my MD. Yeah. Just as many degrees as he can get. As long as it comes with a pay raise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, y'all. We're going to sign off. Again, this is the third episode of What They Don't Tell You About Surviving Medical School. 
Thanks for joining us. Wait, uh, have a good one. Oh yeah, wait, wait Ryan's got to. You guys, this. you guys have your your sign off slogans yet? You've had like three yeah. weeks. Yeah, yeah mine's keep on skating. Keep on skating. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm gonna tell. I always liked when Margaret Blockazi signed off all of her emails with cheers. 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 Was she British? Uh, no, but uh, Sanjeev is right. Yeah. So is that what you're gonna do? Is that your your catchphrase? <laughs> That's all I got. Cheers. <laughs> all right. I'm going to tell everyone to keep grinding. Sounds good. No pressure, Leigh, if we're putting you on the spot once I, again. I don't have one. I was thinking about it, and I, I couldn't come up with all one. Right. That's all good. That's fair. All right. Well, for next time you're on, if you're on again, right. you'll yeah. have good. I'll, I'll have to come on again just to have a sign-off. <laughs> yeah. Sounds right. good. We'll, just right. get you we'll see everyone next right. week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>